Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Silky Mitten State, a hockey podcast about Michigan. I am Sam Stockton, your host here, and I'm joined by my good friend, Connor. You're good. Connor, how you doing today? Pretty good. Been uh, been a little under the weather this week with a, a sore throat, but uh, it healed up just in time for the podcast. So my voice is a little funky, but it'll hey. sound better. Yeah, I promise. All right. That's good to set expectations that it's only going up from here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this podcast is going to be about, as we've said, hockey in the state of Michigan. Our primary focus is going to mostly be the Detroit Red Wings, uh, but we'll also be diving into some college hockey, which Connor and I are both big fans of, um, and really anything else that sort of piques our interests about hockey in the state. Um, so uh, before we get going, a quick kind of introduction to our work. You can check out my coverage of the Red Wings at thehockeynews.com slash Detroit. Um, you can also check out some of my Michigan coverage at gulagulohockey.substack.com. Um, and Connor, uh, you can find his work covering University of Michigan football for the Michigan Daily. He's also a uh, beat writer emeritus on the hockey beat for the Daily. And he's doing uh, features from, from all over the Big Ten for College Hockey News. He And he's uh, going to be one of our contributors at the Hockey News' NCAA site as well, uh, which Dylan Lukes has gotten up and running in the last week. So, Connor, a very busy man this fall. Many, uh, many hats. So, like the uh, Alley Octopus, I got, like, hats on every one of my uh, little tentacles, I guess. I don't know. That was a weird <laughs> but you get what I mean an interesting image to get us started with but that's I don't know a preview of where we'll be going from here so uh we're gonna get started this week uh by talking a little bit about the week that was for the Red Wings um specifically the sense of kind of coming back down to earth a little bit after taking points in their first six and even seven games but this week it was two losses on Tuesday night that was a 5-4 overtime loss to the Kraken on Thursday night, last night, that was a 4-1 loss to the Jets. Um, kind of got a sense that that uh, PDO bender that had started the season caught up to the Red Wings a little bit, uh, and they lost two games. That, In both cases, in different ways, they maybe could have won. Connor, what were your impressions of these last two games out of the Wings? I mean, I, I think you said it. It's like coming down to earth. It's It's realizing that they're not going to win the Stanley Cup. As much as I joked about that at the start, like, oh my god the wings are back um it's it's still a work in progress right and um a, a lot of young teams i shouldn't say young they're not young a lot of teams that have just been assembled and are just kind of finding how they work together you also have to learn how to win and what it takes to win consistently that's why tampa bay has been so successful even when they maybe don't win a president's trophy um that's why boston you know other other than their really historic run where they ended up choking last year in the playoffs but they've been relatively successful by um, kind of learning the, the practices that you have to commit every day to win. Um, and I think that's just what they're going to have to learn, that you can't play down to a team. You, you can't rely on things to be easy. You got you to gotta go out and earn it. Not to sound like a coach, but I, I think that might be the lessons this week, this week. Yeah, and it sort of happened in different ways. And that Tuesday game, I think there really was a sense as they go down 3-1 on a couple of goals at the end of the second period. And then at the start of the third, the power play comes out white hot. They score three goals all on the power play in pretty short succession. 
And you're like, okay, maybe the Red Wings are never going to lose again. And this was the last, the entire rest of the season. Like there really was a sense that this was almost too good to be true, but it it was working to bring it. It scored in every home game at that point in the season. Um, But then things do come crashing back down to earth, take too many penalties down the stretch in the third. Um, And Seattle, even as it's been kind of a slow start to the year, uh, that is a team that want that had 100 points last year that made the playoffs. Um, so not exactly light competition. The Kraken end up taking the uh, result in overtime. Um, after that, I think Winnipeg was a slightly different feel. Because um, as much as with that Seattle game, you got the sense that in those, because the Red Wings are leading with just about two minutes left, you're like, oh, that should have been a win. But when you really look back at the run of play across 60 minutes, it was pretty clear that Seattle was the better team there. Uh, I think it was a different story against the Jets, where really for most of the game, with the exception of the first period, where Detroit probably took too many penalties, it did feel like the Red Wings were the better team and that the biggest difference was just Connor Hellebuck and Ned kind of stymieing that. Yeah, uh, and, and that that had been kind of what had gone right for them as far as shooting percentage and and outscoring some of those, I don't know, middling results in the last couple games before that at, at five on five, that that all sort of caught up with Hellebuck. Um, so I suppose uh, my question for you, Connor, coming out of this is, we I mentioned Hellebuck as a differentiating factor. We've seen both James Reimer and Billy Huso. I think both of them have delivered some solid performances. Both of them, probably their most recent games, were not their best. Huso's being the Seattle game and Reimer's being last night against the Jets. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you in the Red Wings goaltending right now? Um, <clears throat> I still think it's early, right? We're, we're what? eight, nine games in roughly to the season. Um, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like Detroit has the potential. I liked what Huso did last year. I thought he had a good body work overused for sure. Um, and the second half of the season wasn't as, as white hot as the, the start. Um, it's just too early for me to give a definitive answer. I'm still cautious, cautiously optimistic. Wasn't that the, uh, the Mark Schlissel quote mm-hmm. for, for Cautiously optimistic that they're going to be good. Um, it, it's just a matter of, of, you know, bounces going their way. And as you mentioned, PDO at the start of the season, like they weren't as good as they looked. Um, we, we all kind of knew that. But I, I, I can't say I'm not confident in them, but I, I don't know. I, I got to see more games. Yeah. It is an eighth of the season. That seems like a cop out, but I really just got to see more, more body of work. Definitely a lot of hedging there from you. But I, I think it's fair. I think the, you're, I totally agree with your your point about Huso's performance last year, where almost, and this was something Derek Lalonde said in a press conference the other day, that if you look at the season stats for Huso last year, it's a bit deceptive because he doesn't look very good. But the reality is that at the beginning of the year, he really was that good. And then they end up overplaying him. He's kind of fighting through some stuff and playing hurt, uh, which is something that, again, the Red Wings have, have been quite upfront about, that that sort of management didn't go the way that they wanted and the depth in net was a big priority. That's why you ended up with not only Reimer, but also Alex Lyon coming in and carrying three goalies on the roster, even as we haven't seen Lyon actually play yet. Um, so I think it there are questions about Huso that 
it feels more than fair to ask, especially after some of those mixed results. And because the Red Wings have said, you know, we felt like we overplayed him to, to last year, and yet the plan is to play him about that much or potentially even a little bit more again this year. So what is it that makes you feel confident you're able to do that? And I think the obvious one will just be making sure that he's healthy throughout the year. Um, but then with Reimer, we certainly saw him struggle quite a bit with the Sharks last year, but he still played over 40 games. And I think, again, contextually, it's a little hard to say, of like, well, how, who could have stopped a lot of pucks playing behind the Sharks defense last right. year? Yeah. That's certainly been a team who's given up a lot of goals in the early going this year. I don't think they have a win yet. Can you confirm no. that? No. I think they've had seven goals in eight games or something like that. It's or like eight goals in seven games, something like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, they're they're well. Celebrini going to be a, a San Jose Shark. Let's just put it that way. But yeah, it certainly looks like like that in the early going. So I, to me, goaltending probably still is the biggest question mark for this team. I think you've seen that the acquisitions up front have paid immediate dividends. We alluded to Alex DeBrinket. That's the obvious one, but. Guys like Daniel Sprong are fitting in well too. Even like Christian Fisher and Clem Costin on that fourth line, it it I think it subtly makes a pretty big difference to have competent guys in those roles who know what they're doing and are comfortable in that position. On the back end, I think Wallman and Sider look like an excellent top pair. And then you have a bunch of guys who maybe aren't quite qualified to be that like number three D but you have a lot of guys who are in that sort of four or five range to the point that having seven of them feels pretty good and that leaves you with this question of like okay we've seen glimpses of it with Huso, but can he really be that number one starter and if that starts to waver what exactly can you count on from from Reimer and maybe even Lyon yeah and I, I don't know the law of averages I feel like he's he's due um so that is, I feel like he's due for, for a little bit of a rebound of sorts. Um, you know, he could be working through something. Um, and, and obviously there's also the, the mental side that no one really can know about um, unless he chooses to make that public. So don't know what his he's going through in his life. Maybe there's something going on starting a, a new season. Who knows? But um, I feel like he's, I, I don't, it's, it's not like, okay, I just got back from playing pickup basketball and I missed like six shots at the start and I said, I'm due. Like, it's not, it's not like that. But I feel like eventually, with the way he's played in the past, he's going to be able to rebound. Um, and and especially too, like there's been injuries up in front of him as well. Um, I, I'm thinking of Clem Costin still. Is he out or is he back? He was back last night. So Bergeron was the the scratch last night. Yeah. Yeah, and and just changes like that could have affected him too. Um, sometimes there's a difference in chemistry up front that, that could have affected. Not to make excuses for him, but um, there, there's a lot of kind of intangible changes that that can affect the goalie especially when it, it's such a like fickle position um and, and a lot of other factors sort of get kind of thrown toward goaltending and, and you can say goaltending is a problem but there's a lot of other stuff going on that, that might affect him as well mm. that's not that's very level but <laughs> yep more hedging from connor and then uh i do think it's also a little interesting to to note what the plan is with lion he hasn't dressed yet, but Lalonde just revealed this afternoon that he is going to be the backup tomorrow when the Wings take on Boston. So not going to be starting, but he will dress for the first time. Um, something that I think was maybe a, a scenario that we thought we would see sooner with this three goalies 
at the NHL level that that might have been an option. For example, last weekend when the Red Wings were playing a back-to-back, the first leg on the road, they know Huso starting the first game and they know Reimer starting the second game. So you think, oh, maybe there's an option to leave Reimer at home and have Lyon be the backup in Ottawa so that Reimer can, you know, stay fresh, do what he's got to do before his start the following day. They didn't end up doing that. Now we're seeing a little bit of that. I would wonder if if that kind of slight lapse from Reimer last night, where I don't think he was bad by any means. He certainly made some good saves, but he I, I think there was there were some soft goals that got through mm-hmm. last night and it was not his sharpest performance. To some extent, it's hard to tell because he he has that sort of acrobatic, unconventional style. So it always looks like he's kind of busier in the crease than, than I don't know, even say who so. Um, but yeah, so curious about what the plan is with Lyon. The other option for him is if he doesn't play much longer, there is the option of potentially sending him down to GR without needing to clear waivers if it's for a conditioning stint. Hmm. Yeah. He was, if I remember correctly, too, he was nails for for Florida in that that first round series against Boston. Um, and I, I feel like you just want to let him let him run, give him some some runway to take off and, and see what he can do, especially when he was the first goalie they picked up before Reimer, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, give, give him a chance to make good in his on his contract and, and get a shot to, to stick at the NHL level. Um, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. And considering that injuries do happen, guys get worn out. Um, and, and whatnot, anything can happen. So it's it's always good to, to test out the, the, the third goaltender. Um, but if, if they have an opportunity, I, I think that's the, the, the wisest choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so then uh, first prolonged road trip of the year, all the previous ones have just been one-offs. So it'll be Boston on Saturday night and the Islanders on Monday uh, to serious playoff contenders and two more quite sharp goalies after the wings struggled with hellebuck last night connor if i set the over under on points for the red wings coming out of this trip at 1.5 do you like the over or the under over 2.5 i I think they're going to beat the islanders and i think it's a matter of if they take boston to overtime or not Interesting. So Boston lost for the first time last night. It was in overtime. They were up two goals late. They were playing a rather lifeless Ducks team, uh, but the Ducks came back and got them. I, hard to say whether that if it impacts at all what we're going to see on Saturday night, but certainly a tricky road trip. What gives you confidence, I suppose, Connor, particularly when it comes to that Islanders game? I feel like they're a very... Other than than Brock Besser, I feel like they're just a very old, um, like veteran team. They got a lot of a lot of old heads on the roster, um, and I, I feel like the Wings can can overcome that. I don't know. You, I, Lou Lamorello's mo is just trading for like proven, established guys that he watched when he was with Toronto back in like what like 2013 14 era like guys who were really good back then he's like oh i can get this guy for cheap and then he picks them up and then they do nothing for him uh, on, on long island except get injured and then you know get put on ir but um i, I just feel like in in front of sorokin i i don't think the islanders are gonna be able to put up much of a fight so while he may try to goalie the wings i still think they can win a close game because i don't think they're gonna get tested much in, in the offensive zone I think you were thinking of Bo Horvat, not Horvat, not Bastard. Uh, but I think your point still holds, and it is interesting. Like you mentioned earlier in the episode, the this idea that 
even Detroit, as much as they're a rebuilding team, they're not exactly a young team. So there are those parallels with Bergeron not uh, in the lineup. There, there are no first or second year players on the Red Wings. So there is that element of overlap. Uh, yeah, like too, with, with the Islanders being an older veteran team, they can just structure you to death. Like they won't take a whole lot of stupid risks. They're not going to make stupid passes um, that, that can be often attributed to youthful players trying to do too much. But at the same time, like that can in the regular season, especially that can break open a game. Um, and I feel like that's what the the wings have kind of going for them. Not to call Larkin and to bring it super young, but like they, they tend to be able to flash and, and, and make a play. Um, you have a lot of uh, younger guys. I feel like Joe Valeno is, is, shown that he has a little bit of spark too um that, that he can get going mm-hmm. so those i feel like are, are just going to be well suited to play against a team like the islanders mm-hmm. yeah and i think there is uh looking ahead to this trip there is a sense a little bit that like now the season has started for real because it stopped coming quite so easily as it did during those first six games Honor- the power plays at almost 50% and to bring it scoring every game and everything is going right, you know, scoring five and six goals a night. And now it's time to sort of having lost two in a row here, show that you're able to kind of bounce back. And that that wasn't purely just a, you know, early season six game PDO bender. And instead to kind of issue that declaration of intention when it comes to competing in the East against two teams that, should be right in the thick of that playoff race uh, looking forward here. Yeah. Last one before we move on to some of our NCAA topics here. If I think even with these two uh, defeats on the hop here, it's certainly been a positive start for the Red Wings. I think more than anything, it almost the biggest surprise isn't that they've won games, but that they've been such a fun team to watch as they've been winning them. But I'd be curious for you, Connor, what has been the biggest pleasant surprise of the early going here? I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the, the test podcast. To pull the curtain back, we, we did something on Monday or Tuesday, I think, where, where we did some preliminary topics. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked about how surprising it's been for, for Alex to bring it to, to really pop off. I mean, leading the NHL in goals, I don't think, was the expectation for picking him up. Um, it's, it's certainly a welcome surprise if you're Detroit. Um, and, and I think it just speaks to his ability to sort of right the ship after a preseason where there were maybe some questions about that chemistry. Um, and, and we had touched on that before, not to not to make the audience feel excluded on that convo. But um, I, I just think it's it's been surprising to see how well he's really meshed and, and been, been able to score. Now it's just a question of maintaining that um, and, and, and really figuring out how to <clears throat> excuse me do that on a consistent basis. Like you said, when, when the losses have happened, like it hasn't really come easy. He hasn't been scoring every single game. It, it, he's going to have to go out and earn it um, as well as the rest of the Red Wings. But uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm curious to see where he goes from here, but I'm pleasantly surprised with how Alex Fabricant has started. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, the fact that he's scored so often has almost obscured the fact that he's shown that his value isn't only coming from the goal scoring, <laughs> that you've seen him also working as a playmaker. I think he he's able to open up space on the power play in ways other than just by having that big shot, uh, which he obviously does have. Um, something that I've been really impressed by him is in that sort of second layer on the forecheck or sometimes on the back check, his stick is excellent as far as picking up pucks, winning them back, um, and and kind of getting play moving in the right direction. So I think the, there was this kind of, I guess there were almost two knocks on him. One was that 
that he was when he got to Detroit, there was one, a sense like, well, does he do anything other than score? And then two, there were a little bit of questions about like, well, just how good of a scorer is he after things didn't quite quick click uh, throughout the season last year in Ottawa. And he was, there were questions of like, Oh, what is he without Patrick Kane? Is he the, that 40 goal scorer that he'd been a couple of times in Chicago, or is he, you know, a 25 ish goal scorer, which is still useful, but not exactly a sort of franchise altering piece in the way that it certainly feels like the bracket has been in the early going. I would say, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like a lot of the time, too, the question of, like, can they do anything but score? Um, they People just really like to disparage guys who can score. Think of, I mean, you're familiar with this being a growing up a Cavs fan, Ovechkin, calling him a selfish player. And does he do anything but score? He stands at the circle and, and shoots like he can do a whole lot more. Um, and, and no one gets to the, the NHL. OK, 99.9 percent of players don't get to the nhl by doing one thing really well it's they tend to have some some pretty good skills outside of that one skill that that makes it worth the risk um and and then so yeah and that's that's my well it's also pretty important as well i think it's i mean that's him like that's if he only serves the goal scoring element that's okay because you have you know 11 other forward slots that that you can do something with to, to fix some of those other issues it's okay to have a specialist and if he's more than a specialist, like he's been showing, great. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the biggest surprise of the early season has actually been Lucas Raymond. Um, I've been really, really impressed. And he, uh, this was another point that Lalonde made this afternoon, is that he's kind of the one Red Wing who's been on the opposite side of like that PDO bender that we've talked about. He was the one guy who like was generating plenty of chances and they weren't necessarily going in. He gets a goal last night. Uh, but I think it it's the work away from the puck that to me has been so, so impressive for him in the early season. He's flying all over the ice. His intensity in winning back pucks has been really, really impressive to me. Um, I posted a clip of it on Twitter this morning from last night, just a kind of simple play in the neutral zone where he's along the wall. He looks like he's about to lose the puck after it's been this kind of 50-50. He makes that one extra play with the stick to knock it free. It goes to the brinket and the Red Wings have a chance off the rush. He ends up uh, drawing a penalty because he gets high sticked pretty hard in the face. But it's just little stuff like that that I think he's he's opened up so much for Larkin and to bring it to really you know go to work and fly and transition the way that we've seen them do because he's keeping plays alive and he's getting them out of the D zone and and moving in the right direction so for me and he was a guy who at the start of camp you heard a lot of talk of like oh he's put on 12 pounds of muscle in the off season and like we've all heard that many times like oh best shape of his life in training camp sure but I think you really can see that Physically, he looks a more imposing player than he did, you know, in his first couple of years in the NHL. What I'm impressed with him, too, um, you look at his his first two seasons in the NHL, like not to call him like a power play point merchant, but like a lot of his scoring came with the man advantage. And he's only got one power play assist this season so far. Um, and, and so just to see him score at, at five on five and, and make an impact there, I feel like that's a good development for him to really kind of spread his wings and and be able to contribute there so even even if the numbers do look a little little bit um you know maybe he's not getting rewarded for the chances he's, he's generating he could have more um there's also a lot of growth that's maybe unseen because of how he's scoring um and and, and the different ways he is yeah absolutely and and him being like if all the red wings wanted to do was sort of goose his scoring he would be on that first power play right but- 
if that's not quite where his fit has been so far, Shane Gostas Bear has been really good on that right flank. And so it's made sense to have Raymond on the second unit, but it hasn't really mattered. I mean, maybe it's hurt his point total a little bit, but it has not hurt his impact over the course of these games. Cool. Um, anything else on the Red Wings or should we move into some NCAA stuff? Down to talk college hockey always. All right. Uh, so we're going to get started uh, with Michigan State is halfway through a really exciting um, series out east, taking on BC in Boston. Um, I think it was la- last night they dropped a 6-4 game. It was kind of competitive back and forth for probably about 30 minutes. And then the second half, we saw some of that real high-end talent that, that BC's got, uh, courtesy of the NTDP, sort of see them away. But I think we can confidently say that as much as like this was definitely the hardest game that MSU has played for the season and they looked the part it was it was a loss but it wasn't as though they kind of you were like oh this is not you know the top 10 team that they've maybe even build at build as as they got out to a five and one start against lesser competition mm-hmm. yeah and especially too this is as you mentioned the first team they've like real team they've played um they played Canisius uh and mm-hmm. And then Lake Superior State, not yeah. exact movers and shakers in the, the NCAA these days. Um, but obviously getting wins is, is what you need. Um, helps with the pairwise, helps with um, even confidence in, in a locker room. I, I feel like they have a shot to, to maybe make a comeback. Um, that's tonight, right? They're playing a Thursday, Friday. <laughs> yep. So Friday night in, in Boston. They could shock the world. I don't know. Um, they played them close. The fun fact, the MSU Twitter account did tweet the scores wrong. Uh, and so I did a double take and I was like, wait, what? They did? And then realized, oh, it's it's an error. Um, yeah, it, we'll, we'll see what they do. I feel like it's more of an encouraging sign for when they enter Big Ten play than it is for for maybe their their national hopes. Because um, while they might get, they could get swept or they could split with BC, um, being able to hang with that team kind of shows that they'll be more of a challenge for the Michigans of the world, the Minnesotas of the world, and apparently the Wisconsin's of the world as, as we learned yesterday. But um, yeah, I, I feel like it's an encouraging result despite being a loss. And especially for the, the basement that MSU hockey has been in the past six or seven years, um, it probably feels pretty good to be a Spartan. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, it's that, that sense of well, what does this look like against elite competition? And I think in some ways BC is in a similar spot to them as far as kind of they've BC maybe a little bit farther ahead as far as like stockpiling talent right now. But MSU certainly has its fair share of that and a lot more coming in the recruiting pipeline uh, with Adam Nightingale. Uh, but BC kind of in a similar place of feeling like they're ready to make that step into national uh, championship competition after for these last couple of years, not quite being at that level, even as they've had some really talented pieces there. Um, to, to zoom out a little bit, what impress has impressed you most so far about this state team and where do you see, I don't know, room for improvement or, or areas where you still have questions? All right. I, I was a little bit tempered on him, um, but, Artyom Levshinov, I think is how you say it. I watched a little more. He, he's good, to, to say the least. Um, and, him for real. Yeah, he, he might be legit. Um, no, he we, we knew he was legit, but um, seeing the way he's played, he had a couple goals a, a game or two ago, I believe. Um, and, and just seeing how he can, he's billed as this like 
kind of a two-way defenseman, but with a a really strong foundation in in his own end. And he's proven that. And I think that's what's going to help state the most. Um, And and I feel like the the offense is a little bit of a cherry on top. Um, Sort of like an Owen Power of sorts, I guess, where you're a very, very good defender, shut down defender that that can also chip in on the scoreboard. Um, But I've just been really impressed with how he's able to um, log a bunch of minutes and and really lead that blue line. Um, and, And he hasn't been, you know, it's not like a, a Luke Hughes freshman season scoring, um, but it's still a, a valuable contribution for a state team that has gotten better, but still needs to to, to gain a little bit from from the back end, um, especially with the, I believe, Krieger, 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 I think, brothers moving on. Uh, Michael Underwood moved on because he was a grad uh, grad student last year. They lost a couple other guys, too, but uh, he, he's added a lot of talent to that, that blue line that looks really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I maybe have some questions about the depth on the blue line, but mm-hmm. I, I think without a doubt, Levchinov has been everything he was advertised as. I think the projections have him as at worst, like a top five-ish pick in the coming NHL draft. So we're certainly talking about like a guy who is, you know, very elite for his demographic, his age group. Mm-hmm. Um on that back end, I think you you have to be pleased with the early season results to to bring it back to the Red Wings that you've gotten from Red Savage. And by and large, I think Trey Augustine has been quite good as well. He gave up six goals last night. Uh, I I wouldn't be overly concerned about that if if I were MSU. I think some of that is kind of environmental. We knew that was going to be a harder game, and it ends up in this kind of wide open, a ton of special teams last night. I don't have the exact. Uh, penalty totals in front of me but kind of in classic hockey east fashion the the whistles were out in in full force in chestnut hill last night um so they're certainly a lot to like i think when you when you look at at what nightingale's building there yeah i don't have a full injury update on him i know he got popped um by i forget who it was from bc um but he he got up he skated um so hopefully he's healthy i haven't seen any updates on that so um, wish luck there for, um, yeah, for obvious reasons. Yeah, I thought I saw he finished the game, but I might be making that up. So I'm I'm not going to say that with any confidence here. Okay. Yeah, and I hadn't seen an update. I just saw the hit, and yeah. it was clean. Um, and it was from Aiden Hrachik from uh, the NTDP. So mm-hmm. old USA World Junior Team uh, teammate violence, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think they both. They probably won't have to talk about that one, but. <laughs> All right. And <laughs> lastly for this week, uh, quickly, we're going to chat about the University of Michigan's hockey team off to a 3-2-1 and one start to the year. It, they've shown us, you know, some really high highs, a 7-1 route over Ohio State last weekend on Friday night. And we've also seen some low lows, giving up six goals in the third period to UMass to blow a 2-0 lead and end up losing 6-3. Um, we, I suppose to, to get going here, what, what have you, what have your impressions been to, to keep it general from this up and down start to the year for Michigan? Um, I feel like Rugger McGordy, obviously the, the points are there. I think he's looked really good. Um, I'm curious to see if Frank Nazar with all the off season hype, um, can, can sort of find his groove. Um, I know he's had a few goals here, uh, but, but really finding his way to, chip in more for the offense and he's a defensive player um but but i think just considering the hype that he was given in the offseason proving that it wasn't just hype and that there's there's some merit to it um i'd I'd be curious to see that 
Jacob Barchevsky looks good in, in, in the crease. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the team's biggest strength, um, but, but he's looked serviceable. Uh, and, and the defense, despite having a, a few key injuries uh, in Ethan Edwards and then Tyler Duke is back, but he was out for a, mm-hmm. uh, a series. Um, I, I think the defense by committee has looked pretty good. Um, and it's just a matter of, of keeping that up. Um, they maybe don't have the the game changer that Luke Hughes was. Um, but I think also the the risks that that kind of game changing uh, sort of caused by consequence. Um, I feel like losing that is also um, an, an advantage for this team. So overall, pretty pleased with how they've started. Um, and, and now it's just seeing how they can kind of maintain it. And they split series last year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, not the season but once big 10 play started when they played real teams um they started splitting series so mm-hmm. yeah. o- optimistic start for them um now it's just about maintaining it yeah uh and i wrote about this a little bit today um for the Substack. uh and this was something that i talked to brandon Nerado about this week he he kind of talked about how like he feels better about this team at three two and one than he did about last year's team which was seven and one going into conference play against penn state last year um, and I think his, his reason for that is is seeing the kind of maturity, the continued growth of the team within their kind of offensive identity. And his priority seems to have been, you know, dialing in on some of those defensive details, those details without the puck to make sure that the kind of intensity is there all the time to, to make sure that they're kind of playing the way that they want to play at every point throughout a game, which means knowing those spots like, okay, here's where we're really going to up the pace and and go all out on the attack and here are the moments when we're maybe going to slow it down a little bit and play a slightly more controlled game. And I think we've seen that play out. I think um, the one area where I might push back on you is as much as there's not like in terms of the jaw dropping uh, playmaking of Luke Hughes, the kind of <laughs> straight ahead speed and the power that Hughes played with, I think Seamus Casey is not far from that as far as the just general dynamism on the back end. I think it has been a really impressive start to his season. And I think, uh, you know, you and I had talked over the summer about how maybe Frank Nazar would end up being a a Hobie candidate if things sort of came together in the way that we thought they might for him. And I think we've seen kind of glimpses of that, but it's not totally come together yet. I believe he's at four points through six games, which is obviously like nothing to sneeze at. It's not spectacular. Um, I think Casey maybe is is the one who might actually be in that conversation by the end of the year. And I hate to talk about awards, especially talking about awards in October, but I think that is something that that will be worth monitoring. Um, yeah, and then to to close on Barcheski, like you said, I think it. I don't think it's talking out of school to say that goaltending is obviously the biggest question mark when it comes to this roster. This again, to, to steal from our, our test episode the other day, like the reality is this is a team with a ton of NHL draft picks at forward, a ton of NHL draft picks. That's not what the situation is in net. And that's not to denigrate Barczewski. That's not to denigrate Noah West, who I think both at different points have shown that they are could are are good, credible options. Um, But that just kind of is the reality of this roster as far as a kind of up and down talent perspective goes. I think what what you have to be happy with with Barczewski is that there's a real kind of steadiness to his game that that Michigan wasn't always getting out of its goaltending last year. He's doing a good yeah. job about limiting rebounds, about kind of being in the right spot and, and making those kind of routine saves look routine in a way that wasn't always happening a year ago. Yeah, and, and, and to go back to your point too about how um, Brandon Dorado isn't really like 
he's pleased with the way they've, they've started and, and learned some things and, and maybe the record doesn't reflect that. Um, but in terms of why that structure matters um, for, for two seasons, they've been a number one seed and, and choked in the frozen four. Um, the Denver game, they had a chance to win. Luke Hughes had the game on his stick and the, the puck rolled. It happens um, against Quinnipiac last year. They got balled up. I mean, that was not a, a pretty game for, for Michigan. Um, and, and that's where that structure um, and, and, and doing the right thing consistently, not cheating the game, that's where that matters. And that's where that'll come to, to fruition if they can make the tournament, um, which, I mean, they're, it would be hard to imagine a world unless they really start dropping games where they don't make it. Um, but And, and I, don't, I haven't seen anything to suggest that. But just making it into the tournament, maybe not being a one seed, um, being in, in the tournament and, and being able to get a shot. I feel like when you're more structured, when you're more disciplined, um, that, that's when you kind of get paid off, you get rewarded. And I think it's also that sort of intensity in, in winning battles and winning races, you know, <laughs> shift in and shift out that both Quinnipiac and Denver, like that was really kind of bread and butter for them in different ways. Uh, I think two teams that didn't exactly play the same way, but shared that. Uh, identity as as far as the the up and down the lineup intensity on on a shift shift out basis and that's where i think too like the the lack of maybe i don't want to call, say lack of star power and i think you had a good point about seamus casey um and obviously there's mcgrory there's an azar um, gavin brindley i feel like is, has has been good but it's maybe not the same level as it has been in the past two years mm-hmm. um and i think not having a roster that is built off of a few really key contributors is, is, is good for Michigan. Um, when you can't rely on Adam Fantilli to do Adam Fantilli things every night, it makes guys play better. It makes guys really gain a lot and, and get opportunities to, to shine um, that they can really achieve. Same thing with, with not having Luke Hughes score four goals in a, in a game against Penn state. Like um, you can learn from that as a defense and, and get different guys going where um, you can't just, shadow one line in in the playoffs uh and and try to win from that yep absolutely um and i think we're gonna leave it right there for this week thank you very much for joining us be sure to check out connor's work again he's covering michigan football for the michigan daily you can also check out some of his he wrote an excellent feature on noah west michigan's backup goaltender for College Hockey News, and he's also going to be contributing to THN's new NCAA site, so make sure you check out all of that. Also, go to THN.com Detroit to check out some of my work. We've got daily coverage of the Detroit Red Wings right there for you, and gulagulohockey.substack.com for America's favorite Substack-based Michigan hockey newsletter. Thank you very much for listening, and we will be back next week. Thank you. Thank you.